We're in Daniel chapter 7, beginning at the first verse. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims, and it trampled <laughs> underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and the most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that had crushed and just devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. 
until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we can know you. Help us as we look at Daniel 7. Help us to make sense of uh, your sovereign power and how we get to take part in your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, movies. You guys already know that I'm a, a movie lover. I love watching films. Uh, Movies, they're all connected, especially if you like to watch those superhero films or, or some, some films with series or, or sequels. And, and um, when you spot all the Easter eggs or, or being told of those Easter eggs because you are so lame like me, you just couldn't spot those, you need to be told. Either way, because when you know those little details, you're like, oh yeah, that all made sense. Uh, I love, love those aha moments. And uh, that made me just want to rewatch those films over and over again. Uh, sometimes reading the Bible feels a little bit like that. You go to different parts of the Bible and you're like, is this deja vu? Or have I read this from somewhere else before? Uh, I think Daniel can be like that a little bit. I used to love the, the first half of the book of Daniel, but I used to just kind of skip through the second half because uh, I just couldn't make sense of it. But when you read other parts of the scriptures, uh, other parts of the scripture, places like Revelations or, or Second Thessalonians in the New Testament, uh, for example, and then you, you notice, oh, this, this looks familiar. Um, have I read this from somewhere before? And then once you get the bigger picture, you find those connections. And so reading those hard parts of the Bible suddenly becomes a, a joy. Uh, last week, we had looked at chapter 6, and we talked about how troubles will surely come to those who side with the truth because the world hates those who follow Jesus. And we're continuing our series in Daniel. And if you have this habit of reading ahead of the sermon, you noticed Daniel started to get a little weirder. 
And if you read on to the end of the book, it just gets weirder and weirder. Uh, beginning of chapter 7, it suddenly turned from narrative into apocalyptic writing. From telling things that had happened, now to revealing things that will happen, but not quite yet. And Daniel chapter 1 to 6, we're written in chronological order. We have chapter 1 in the third year of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar came. And then chapter 2, the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And chapter 5, King Belshazzar, who was um, Nebuchadnezzar's son. And in chapter 6, we got King Darius. But suddenly in chapter 7, we were taken back to Belshazzar again. And this wasn't meant to disorient the readers, but I think this was uh, a deliberate structural shift. If it helps, uh, think chapter 1 to 6 like the book of Daniel, volume 1. Uh, real people, real stories, uh, which everyone can relate to because those were things that had happened. And then chapter 7 to 12, volume 2, visions and, and revelations, maybe. I, I just thought of that. I thought that was cool. Uh, Daniel writes of things that were revealed to him over different periods of time. So those were actually, at 7 to 12, chapter 7 to 12, were actually still in chronological order. It just means that he had his first dream, his first vision, uh, revealing to him back in the days of uh, King Belshazzar. And so that was the beginning of his dream and vision. And chapter 7 was written to pair with chapter 2, just like chapter 3 was paired with 6 and 4 with 5. And what do I mean by that? You see, um, chapter 4 and 5 were about two proud kings. And chapter 3 and 6 were about people standing firm in their faith in, in, in their faith in the true God, those who chose not to compromise. Uh, similarly, similar yet different, with different emphasis. So it's the same with chapter 2 and 7. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar was given a vision in his dream. He couldn't make sense of it. And so he was des desperate, desperately troubled. Chapter 7, Daniel was given a vision in his dream. He was troubled too. And he wanted to understand the dream so badly. There's a similarity right there. And chapter 2, Daniel served as the one interpreting the dream. But chapter 7, Daniel was one who needed someone to interpret the dream for him. Uh, one more thing about chapter 7. Uh, if you remember, Daniel chapter 2 to 7 were written in Aramaic, which is quite weird because the rest of the New, uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And Aramaic was the common language of the world around the time. So even though the genre and the tone has changed in chapter 7, I think this was deliberately written in Aramaic with the intention that everyone has easy access to this chapter still. And if you read the book of Daniel and you kept noticing some sort of repetition in the book of Daniel, and that would be a good thing. Because what, that's what Daniel wanted us to remember. Despite what has already happened, 
despite what's going on out there right now, despite what will happen in the future. God is in charge of the world, of the whole universe, and you can trust him. And how is that happening in chapter 7? Well, let's um, take a look at the beast, the ancient of days, and the son of man. Firstly, the beasts. Verses 2 and 3, four beasts. Each beast rise from the stirred-up sea. And I, I just please ignore the images. Try to use your imagination if you want. I tried to search those images, but then I kept finding Godzilla or Pacific Rim because all those monsters came out of the sea. Anyways, uh, in the Bible, sea often represents the chaos of a sinful world. So those beasts coming up from the sea symbolizes the chaos and the destruction they, they would bring. Those four beasts represent the same kingdoms described in chapter 2. However, one obvious difference was that in, in chapter 2, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about described the, the outside, the, the, um, what the kingdoms look like from the outside. But here in chapter 7, we get the description of what the kingdoms look like internally. We get to see the brutality of their reign. But as brutal as they were, those mighty conquerors were used by God as his instruments of judgment. We were told it was the winds from the heavens that stirred them and caused them to, to go up. In verse 5, the bear-like beast was told to devour. In verse 6, the leopard-like beast was given authority to rule. The fourth beast is weirder for sure. It's so powerful, it had ten horns. And please don't try to match them to Roman kings or, or European superpowers, uh, as many scholars did over the last 2,000 years. Uh, the description of the fourth beast basically tells us that it was really, really powerful. Verse 11, we were told that there will be a time when the beast is slain and destroyed, finally, and thrown into blazing fire. What a good news. But before that day finally comes, before he is slain, before his power is finally taken away from him, if you kind of jump down to verse 26, uh, he is there, he's still there to say boastful words. In verse 25, he will speak against God, the Most High. He will oppress those people who belong to the Most High. And he will also try to change the set times. Basically means trying to change those sacred occasions or special festivals. Um, and he will try to change the laws to make it even harder for the holy people to live under, under his rule. And you've probably seen that happening around the world. So for, for us who follow Christ, if you have never experienced any of the promised hardship, um, there are, I think there are two possibilities, maybe three, but let's stick with two. 
Um, either God's been really kind to you and has spared you from all the trials, all the oppressions for now, because we are not quite ready to face them yet. Or we've just been uh, in this country which we still have lots of freedom. Or we are actually not following Jesus at all. That's why we don't get to experience any of the hardships. I don't know. I'll let you think about that. I think one of the tactics the evil one loves to use in our present age is to make people forget his existence, especially in our Western world. If you look around the world, all the wars and, and conflicts, then you hear people moan about if God is real, why would he allow all the sufferings? That, that's a common thing to hear, especially if you are at school. Or, or people just blame each other and attack each other and say, it's your fault, that's why I'm attacking you. So the evil one was, has success, succeeded in making lots of people forget his existence. But if you are going through a really tough time because you are God's holy people, because you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, then please don't get too discouraged because the ancient of days is above all. He's got everything under his control. So it comes to our second point, ancient of days. Verse 9, as Daniel looked, thrones were set in places, sorry, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. Things start to get a bit more exciting. Thrones, multiple, so multiple, multiple seats were set. So this is a court scene. Then the ancient of days took his seat, the same word as throne, it's just translated differently. So he took his seat, singular. Uh, the ancient of days is a description of God, which only appeared three times, and all three times were in this chapter. It is a super unique term because this is in Aramaic. Nowhere else in the Hebrew language has this term been seen before or after. And the closest equivalent in Hebrew is probably um, the everlasting father. Back in those days, around the pagan world and their myths, um, the head of their heavenly pantheon, the head of their, their gods, is called El. El is often associated with gray beard, like Gandalf the Great, and it's often referred to as the, the father of years. So you've got El, the father of years. So this, this vision given to Daniel, written down in Aramaic, is for their benefit, so that they can see a, a distinctive, a distinct contrast between their El and Daniel's God, the Ancient of Days. Unlike Father of Years, the Ancient of Days is eternal. In fact, everlasting. His clothing and his hair, all the white, represent his purity. His fiery throne and, his, and the fire coming out of his, his seat of him indicates the reality of his judgment. And the fact that there are thousands upon thousands who serve him points to the magnitude of what's going on. So what's the, the court, what's the court for? 
And what's Daniel being shown here? For Daniel, I think, firstly, he's not alone. He may feel quite alone, uh, serving amongst all the godless pagans around him in the heart of the Babylonian Empire at this point. But in serving the Ancient of Days, he takes his place with those thousands upon thousands. And secondly, that the kingdom, the kingdoms of men start to crumble as the court sits in judgment. On the day when the books are opened, verse 10, all of the injustice and all of the hatred will face a reckoning. No evil will go unpunished. That sounds like a good news. Unless, of course, if you take a quick peek down at verse 22. Sorry, there's a page turning right there. It's quite annoying, isn't it? Uh, verse 22. You and I, it won't be a good news if you and I aren't one of those holy people when the Ancient of Days pronounced his judgment. I'll come back to that. Let's move to turn again. Verse 13. One like a son of man. In Daniel's vision, at night he looked, and there before him was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Here is Jesus. Now, this term, a son of man, is again an Aramaic term. It's an Aramaic saying, literally means human being. The reason the Bible translators decided to keep this term, a son of man, rather than just translate to human. It's because in the New Testament, Jesus frequently and deliberately used this Aramaic term to refer to himself. Jesus loves to call himself the Son of Man. So even though this term means human, the way Jesus used the term as a title for himself and quoting the scriptures around it, everyone knew Jesus was referring himself to this particular Son of Man in Daniel 7. Still in verse 13, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Uh, do you remember that rock back in chapter 2? That rock which was cut out of the mountain, not by human hands. That rock will fill the whole earth and his kingdom will last forever. And notice that what Jesus is doing here in, in this scene in chapter 7. Instead of going out, he was coming to the Ancient of Days. He's not coming from the Ancient of Days. He's coming to the Ancient of Days. So surely this is a description of Jesus going back to heaven after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension. Because he was coming with the clouds of heaven as he approached the Ancient of Days. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, you don't have to turn to the book of Acts, I'll just show you on the screen. After Jesus instructed his disciples, he was taken up into the clouds. Oops. Sorry. He was taken up into the clouds. So Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, is what happened next after Jesus was taken up. Verse 14, 
this one, like a son of man, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Not long before Jesus was taken up, he spoke of all the authority in heaven and on earth given to him. So this is Jesus coming to the ancient of days. This is him coming to his coronation. Still in verse 14. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So having introduced the beasts, the Ancient of Days, and one like Son of Man. How is all that relate to us? I think one interesting thing to mention about an apocalyptic writing is that there can be a bit of flexibility in, in those writings. You see, uh, we know that the beasts rising from the sea can be identified with Babylon, Middle Persia, Greece, and Rome, as we uh, noticed from chapter 2. But the image or symbol of those beasts could cross over barriers in time and space. Therefore, while those beasts were a description of those four kingdoms, they can also be seen identified with all the various kingdoms to follow that opposed God. And Jesus was... See, Jesus has already defeated Satan when he died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to take his throne. So the victory has been won already. But verse 21, the war is still going on, still ongoing. It has not ended. The horn continues to wage war against the holy people and defeating them. Verse 22, until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. We're living in this era of what we call now, but not yet. We're living in the period of time between the coronation of Christ and the final glorious victory of Christ. It can be a little confusing, but I think an easy way to put it, uh, think, think about this, God is giving everyone a chance to become one of his holy people, because everyone will be judged as guilty, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the guilty verdict, the consequence of sin is death. We live in a time that doesn't make lots of sense. All the sufferings, all the wars, and all the conflicts, they are the result of sin. But to those who believe in Jesus, we are called the holy people of the Most High, in verse 27. We are already part of his everlasting kingdom. And when the time comes, we will possess the kingdom together with Son of Man. God will pro pronounce judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. The question for us then is 
are we one of his holy people or are we not? On that day when he completely and forever destroyed evil power, on that day of the final victory, in what manner will you be bowing down and worshipping God? As his holy people who get to possess the kingdom together with him, verse 22, and to, to whom the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over, verse 26, or bowing down as those who chose to reject him, to rebel against him as his defeated enemies who will be on the receiving end of God's wrath and judgment. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the Ancient of Days who reigns above all. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to this sinful world in order to give us a chance to know you so that we can repent and to turn to you. Thank you that you have the ultimate victory. And thank you for the invitation for us to become your holy people. Help us to stand firm and not be disheartened while we wait for the day when that happens, but to take joy in the fact that you have pronounced judgment in favor of us. And thank you that one day we'll get to possess your kingdom with you and with our fellow holy people. In Jesus' victorious name we pray. Amen. <laughs>